bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 38, VGBC Chronicles, Part 1. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse and or Cypher. You get it. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode here. Today we have Apostle. That's right. One of the co-founders of VGBC Video Game Bootcamp is here to talk to me about actually a very big part of the origin story but not the entire thing and that's what's exciting about the whole part one question mark because we got to a certain point where we realized we're gonna have like a three hour long conversation at this point which is not what we were planning on and so we'll eventually say you know what are we gonna yes we really ought to do this another time so I'm just saying that now so that we can all kind of set ourselves up for a wild ride that I hope you enjoy, and we'll talk afterwards. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm so excited to be joined by Matt Lofton, a.k.a. Mr. Xanadu, a.k.a. Apostle. After starring as Leon in Resident Evil Childhood, Apostle knew that the theater was not his ultimate passion, but rather in streaming. Along with his brother Gimmer, they started VGBC, which is now known as one of the biggest streaming entities for Super Smash Bros. tournaments and beyond. Apostle, thank you for joining me. Uh, my pleasure. It's uh, fun to be interviewed for once. <laughs> <laughs> That is one question that I did have lined up for you, so we can jump right into that. Why couldn't I find any interviews that involved you directly? I couldn't. I, I was trying, but I couldn't find any. I also pulled up a lot of like things to apostles related to the Bible, but that's not your fault, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, it kind of is because that is the reference. But <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, been been pretty good and okay with being behind the scenes not really looking for it and uh not really looking for the interviews and to be honest um if you're not looking for them you don't really get them that's just the way it works <laughs> that makes sense uh, and it's true i haven't asked to be interviewed by anybody and no one's asked me to come on to their podcast either so that that actually does ring true so so far so good i really do appreciate you making the time though and to clarify, I invite on all kinds of different people as it pertains to Melee specifically, but Smash in general because it's great to hear from different people their origin stories and what they love about Smash games or Melee specifically since that's kind of my focus. I know you wouldn't necessarily infer that from the title of the podcast because it's Smash Mountain, not Melee Mountain, but the point is, is that it's really cool to hear all kinds of stories and you obviously have a ton of those and I think the best place is to start at the beginning when did you first get introduced to the Super Smash Brothers series so I was introduced to Smash Brothers with 64 not not competitively but just that was the game it came out the little you and me and me and you commercial and I was like I'm playing that game like I just knew that I wanted to play that game uh, I grew up on Nintendo Super Mario all that uh, Pokemon uh, Fire Emblem all those games, so like I saw, well, no Fire Emblem in 64, but I saw the 64 commercial, and I was like, I want to play that, I'm definitely going to play that, I had a lot of fun as a kid playing that, and then Melee came out, and I was super addicted to that game for a very long time, like, it literally, like, I didn't even know about the competitive scene, and I would go home after high school, like, almost all four years of high school, and I graduated in 06, so like, this means from... 
2002 to 2006, basically, I would play like three or four hours after school with my brother. We had no idea about the competitive scene existing at all. We just played that much. And on a funny note, uh, anytime either of us bring this up um, when talking about it, we very weirdly, we had a third friend who played with us. His name was uh, Ryan, Ryan Hebner. Shout out to Ryan Hebner. Uh, we would play, all three play, and over the time we played throughout high school, we were like, no items, that's not fun. We were like, 1v1s, free-for-alls aren't fun. We actually did the same time limit and stock limit that competitive did. We just randomly ended up on that. And we didn't like playing on certain levels. We liked playing on neutral-like levels. I think like back then melee was more wild so we were closer to the competitive rule set but nowadays we wouldn't be so but like you know we just liked we liked maps that weren't like moving transforming maps and stuff like that so it was just crazy because uh we ended up being very close to the competitive rule set in just our own personal like uh version of playing it at uh without even knowing about the competitive scene but was it with Smashboards finding that eventually that led you to to discover that there's a whole community that is around the idea of competing and finding out who is the best today, who's the best player? Right. So the way we figured out, well, I don't know how Calvin figured out about Smashboards, but he, he figured it out first. And uh, he literally kept it a secret from me and our other what? friend. <laughs> And he was like learning tech to use against us because he wanted to beat us. <laughs> so he just started getting better than us. And we were just like, what's the deal? And then like, I think he also was like a little bit not sure about like how he felt about competitive because he was like a sophomore or something at the time, sophomore, junior. So like, I don't think he was ready to be like, I really like competitive and I want to go to tournaments. Like he wasn't ready to like admit that to like his friend group. So it's like... He just used it to get better, but didn't like go, this is really fun. I like this competitive thing. These people know these crazy like tech and stuff. It's like he wasn't ready to like tell us. So I think that was part of it too. It's just crazy to me that, that your brother would like, he would go on to Smashboards and go, oh, okay, cool. Wave dashing is like a thing. Or did you not notice stuff like that right away? Was it just more of like more sound decision making like the ledge guarding got better or recovery mix-ups got better or maybe i'm asking about gameplay that's just a little bit too far in the past for you to remember i think it was l canceling was the thing he was doing that we didn't understand how we couldn't hit him because like and it would just sorry i was making sure to let you finish there oh yeah because it was like oh like usually someone does this move on my shield i can punish them and then all of a sudden the move's safe. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're 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 not going what's going on here if you're not a competitive player. You're going, "Man, I must be messing up cuz like I'm just not hitting him for this or maybe he's just like doing it earlier or something." Like you don't really know that like, "Oh, maybe there's this mechanic that just completely makes this move safe." Like that's not crossing your mind. You've been playing off feeling all this time as a casual. And so that's when it started to shift a little bit towards competitive, but you had mentioned how between you and Gimmer that you weren't sure that you were immediately ready to start going to tournaments. So was the idea after discovering Smashboards, maybe we want to try to compete and try to become better players and maybe try to be the best, or was it just we want to get introduced into that community first and then see what happens from there? So we... So he... 
he told us about it. We were like, let's go to a tournament. We went to a tournament. Uh, I think it was C3. That's what I want to I want to say it was C3. Uh, old C3. Uh, and Chillin, I think, was running the tournament. And they didn't know who we were. So we all got seated horribly, which, you know, that's fair. But we, me and my brother had to play each other round one. Ooh. So, yeah, because they didn't know who we were. So we just got put against each other. And uh, he beat me. So my first ever tournament match had to be losing to my brother. And uh, it was a long drive. It was a long drive. We weren't quite sold yet on talking to the new people about the game. We, like, came in, played, lost, left kind of thing. So none of us said, like, outright, we don't want to do this again. But it felt like we all were like, we're going to do good. And then we got destroyed, and it was kind of like a wake-up call. So it's like you usually go one of two directions when that happens. Uh, you go, I mean, this because this is before, like, competitive gaming was even a thing. So you go, that was fun. That was a unique experience. But I'm not going again because I'm nowhere near as good as these guys. And you probably make some excuse like, oh, all they do is play, play this game or something in your head. Or you go, I really like that. I want to get better. So we didn't say either of those things, but it was the feeling of we, we all had the feeling of we didn't want to do that. But secretly, uh, Calvin wanted to do it again. He wanted to go back, but he acted like he didn't want to. And I was just kind of like, this was like a long ride for just getting beat twice and having to play my brother once. Because it was like a two and a half hour drive or something, so I didn't really want to do it again. And I was a senior in high school, so I was thinking about like I'm on my way to college pretty soon. I wasn't thinking of this as a hobby or anything. I was like, I'm gonna move soon, so probably not my thing. And that's kind of where where we left it at that point. So it depends on the person that you talk to. It depends on what their first tournament experience is like, where they div- they go in those two different directions that you were describing, but also what the community who is already there when the new person shows up, are they going to be like among the more welcoming kind? Or is it just like, Oh, you're here to play matches. Okay. Well, well I'll destroy you too. Like I'm going to destroy everybody else in this tournament and so on. And it sounded like just overall that it wasn't like the most welcoming experience, but you did get back in because here we are all this time later. So what was that next step? So the next step was uh, I went to college and my brother started playing for real. Uh, I went to college for one year out of state in, in uh, at TCU. I went there with my girlfriend at the time. I went there for a year. I went there for business uh, entrepreneurial uh, degree. And after going there for a year, I was like, because uh, I wanted to start my own business uh, specifically with my brother. That's like something I always wanted to do. So I went there for a year and I realized they just tell you how to manage a business properly and how to like crunch the numbers to do certain things. It's very much like kind of build a CEO degree. And then like, it's not really like build a business degree. It's like they build a CEO out of you and then you go try to be a CEO of something. There really was no entrepreneurial part of the education it felt like. So I was like, all right, well, since what I want to start a business in has to do with like animation or making, like I wanted to do animation or I wanted to do like game development. I was like, let me learn those things then since I understand that like starting a business is different from 
like maintaining a business that already exists. So I just lost interest in that. And uh, me and my brother had been talking while I was like out of state. And he was like, I want to go to art school. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, I kind of want to do that too. Let's, let's find a place we both can go to the same spot. Um, and in that time, he had the choice of going to a school in Virginia or a school in California. And he chose to go to the school to Virginia because that was more uh, likely for both of us to get into. So that's what we did. So when I came back, uh, I discovered that um, during that time, um, when I came back, I discovered that my uh, brother has been going to all these Smash tournaments the whole time and not telling me about it. It's like he didn't want to tell me about it because he thought that from our experience, like I wasn't about it. Um, but I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm down. If like this is something that you, you're finding more fun, I'll probably find it more fun if I keep going. So that's kind of how I got back into it. He kind of was just like, I'm still going to go, even, <laughs> even though I'm going to I'm not acting really like I'm still going to go. I'm still going to do this. And he kind of like formed his own little scene at his high school so that he had people to practice against uh, on the regular like daily or whatever. Uh, and it's fun to hear about how it's sort of like the relationship, even at a younger age between you and Gimmer specifically is like already like really, really strong and just being able to talk back and forth, even when you were out at TCU for that year, by the time you come back, it's starting to get towards 2008 brawls released is ha releases happening and you're both trying to play more and probably jump to the next game so was that your mentality when brawl came out it was like okay let's try to be good at this game too yeah so um okay one thing people don't talk about a lot is uh the i think it was called smash dojo it was this website that nintendo created for like revealing characters it was like before they had you know their um directs and all that it was like the way they did it and they would just update it randomly so everyone was hyped for Brawl. It's like a, it's like a, basically a, a, a regularly told Smash story at this point that like the hype for Brawl was insane. It was ten years before a new Smash game came out. Everyone thought it was going to be Melee Two. They thought it was going to be amazing. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people skip over is that the the website was like ultra hype because there was no you knowing when it was going to be updated. So that was like you, every day you wake up, you check out that website. And you see what, what's new, what's been updated, what character's been revealed. So that era, uh, before like real a real like um before like the streaming era was just a real cool hype like everyone on the boards was like talking about it and getting hype when characters got announced and stuff like that. It was just a really really it was like a different time, but it was it was an interesting and really exciting time. So we end up going um like you said, we end up going to this art school while that game's about to be announced, and we start talking about what, how we want to run a big tournament when the game drops. So uh, we're in art school. We have all this. We have all these access to all these tools to make some cool things. Uh, we decide what we're going to do is we're going to make a tournament for when Brawl drops. Uh, we're going to call it Brawl to You Fall, and we're going to reach out to all these. Uh, top players actually you know what i'm misremembering this a little bit we decided to do this after brawl dropped because we reached out to the top players of every character that we knew from smashboards 
So we gave it like a few months before we did that, like like three to six months before the game dropped to to run this tournament. Um, so uh, what we did was we made like custom invites with the character image uh, of all the characters, and we basically sent them out as DMs from a from a uh, from a uh, account we created, I think, uh, like its own new account, so people didn't know who it was coming from. So uh, we send those out, and everyone just like flips out. Everyone's like super hype. They're like, they're like, what, what the heck? Like, I, j I received a DM, and then it became like this like thing of pride, where like, if you got a DM with your character on it, it means like you were acknowledged as being good. So like people were like really like <laughs> like you didn't get invited did you I did like stuff like that even though it wasn't an invitational it was like a specific like invitation like come to our tournament and just people really loved that and uh, they they really like liked being kind of respected in that way and that was our first tournament we ever ran and I believe it was like a hundred and twenty man tournament our first tournament so. <laughs> You already jumped to that. Well, if you're inviting a top player in your mind of each character in Brawl, which is about 35, 38 characters, something in that neighborhood, that's already going to be a fair amount of people if all of those players show up. But then everybody else is coming along for the party. Wh where did you host it? So we host. So we hosted it in Laurel, which is where Xanadu now exists, and. Uh, we knew the owner of this dojo that we went to used to do karate when we were like um middle school age because uh my mom actually married one of our karate instructors uh she was married to him for like three years so like because he was a karate instructor there it's like we just knew the guy who owned it like because like that was like a direct connection so we just asked him if we could rent out the uh, karate studio for one day and it was like a two floor karate studio um, and he said yeah and then we held the um, tournament in the basement and 125 people the basement of karate dojo playing brawl <laughs> it, it probably felt a little bit more legit to to like to someone who might have been used to playing at like a like a comic book store or at a library maybe are just used to playing at smash fest at people's houses and then they show up at a, a karate studio and are like oh this is kind of oh, okay cool or were most people like a karate studio mm. like what was the attitude about about events being like in a different space besides an esports arena because that was hardly that was hardly even barely even a, a an idea back then yeah so that that like for smash that was that was like the only thing smash had had at that point was like mlg right so uh as far as like the majority of events that smash had it was like either it was considered a big tournament or like you were having a tournament at a house so like in that era, it was literally house tournaments and then, like, big tournaments that people got, like, a church to let them use or something. So, yeah, like, eSports Arena was, like, a dream. Like, that was, that was, that was nowhere on anyone's radar. This was, like, considered a big deal. And, uh, it was funny because, uh, people exercised there 
uh, so it has to maintain like a level of cleanliness. We had to buy um, these like footsie things that uh, nurses use on their feet to like keep their shoes from touching the floor. And we had to like make people wear those the whole tournament. <laughs> but aside from having to do a couple of unique things, it sounded like the event went well enough because again, we get to the point now where you're doing all of these events all throughout the all throughout this time. So what do you remember from that event aside <laughs> aside from the footsies thing? Did you did you and Gimmer afterwards are going, how do we make this bigger? Or was it like we just gotta do one like this again because this is so fun, like we don't want to mess with the formula where there's just so many ideas churning between the two of you? So so I remember a lot of things about that tournament to be honest. it's it's actually all coming back to me right now. Um so one thing I particularly remember was I it was playing friendlies with Mewtwo King and I knew how good he was and he was destroying me and I was just in my mind like that's kind of like a point in my mind where like I started to lose interest in competing to a degree and was like I want to focus on giving these people a future like that was my thought I was like if if we can get this to the next level then smash has a future but I was like this is this is people with a real skill that like nobody cares about but I was like I know people would care about this it was kind of that kind of thing of like just knowing that there was potential here but not really knowing how it would like manifest itself another thing another side note I forgot to add was our we had to switch to that venue and originally we planned on having it at a place that my brother worked at that like could stream had streaming capabilities already for some of the stuff they did because it was educational and we were uh trying to get permission to use that because we wanted to stream it like we knew we wanted to stream it. we actually recorded the matches a lot of the sets from brawl to fall because that was part of what we were trying to do we were trying to like do the whole kind of spooky thing but for smash it's incredible that even in the first tournament you were trying to organize, you're trying to stream it, and it's like 2008, which is and streaming is barely a word by then. I mean, I think that even in 2008, you could still with Netflix do the DVD mail thing. <laughs> like, well, well, and, this tournament was it was 2009. It was it was a little into the into it, but yeah, I mean, still no one was streaming. Yeah, it, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm almost 100% sure we were the first ones to start streaming Smash, but like maybe some other people started like around the same time a little earlier technically. I just don't remember. But where are they nowadays, right? I mean, that right, might be right. part of it. Mhm. Mm the definitely the longest lasting. Before we get too far into the 2010s, I I do want to take that side note to say how awesome the Smash Dojo website was. I think when they first announced the game, I was reading like, you know, like recap articles on like Kotaku or whatever, and there'd be links to a Smash Dojo website. And I'd be like, what's that? And then I go there and there's hardly anything on it because it had just launched or whatever. But I quickly found out, oh, if I keep coming back, there's new info about Brawl. Oh, this is so cool. And I still remember to this day waking up one morning in October of 2007, going onto the website and being like, Sonic? Like it was... That was a whole day for me. I was like bouncing off the walls. 
So oh, I remember yeah. that, and that was that was <laughs> that was really cool. I'm glad that I'm glad that people like you remember Smash Dojo website because that yeah, even though that's not like a direct that people can live stream and react to and all that kind of stuff like that was that was so cool, especially for let's see, yeah, I mean like I was like. 14 or whatever if you like smash that basically made every day feel like christmas possibly like you woke up like i woke up every day and i was like let me check this website out like it was the first like me and my brother both did it like we both did it we would be like if one of us was up before the other one we'd be like did you check the site yeah all right nothing new okay like well but like we both were very much into it like for a very for a, pretty much the majority of it like announcing new information and saying more information was still coming. So it was very exciting. I, I just remember that being like, just always look on board. Oh, it's like social media didn't exist. You know, it's just like, Oh, let me go check out. <laughs> I need to see what's going on there. <laughs> like, And it just doesn't seem nearly as appealing now, but of course, again, things have changed. So back to where we were, where you're one of the first, you and Gamer are one of the first people that are trying to live stream Melee as it's happening. And of course, not the first people to record, but it's just insane to me that you're saying to yourselves, let's do our first tournament where it's over 100 entrants. Let's also try to record all the matches, which you were able to succeed in recording most or all of them. And let's also try to live stream. And you go, ah, oh, we missed it on our first try. Mm. And I'm just sitting over here like my mind is blown thinking about how even from the very beginning you both had the vision of saying this is where we think it can go and this is what we want it to be how much of that was intentional or did you just did you just well, see it happening in other mediums like education and say we could do this but for smash and we'll see where it goes so one it gets better than that because because there's more stuff we try to do that was way ahead of its time but um uh two uh we definitely saw what spooky was doing with street fighter 4 street fighter 4 was a huge blow up for the for the fighting game community as far as like streaming and stuff and we definitely were like oh well like that can definitely happen for smash if it's happening for games like street fighter and we just knew that like fighting games didn't f with smash games at that point so it's like we we back then it was clearly divided communities so we knew like saying i want to be I want to do what that guy's doing for Smash because no one else is doing it, and he's doing it for fighting games. Was like, there was no conflict there. Like nobody would have seen that as conflict. They might, if one person was the main guy for all fighting games nowadays, and no one was there for Smash, they might be seen as the same channel. If if no one had picked that mantle up, it's like the main platform for Smash might be a fighting game streamer. But at the time, it was very much separated, and right. so you said there was see. no way it would have gone down like that because of that. But I'm saying, like, had it not been divided, it might have gone down like that. Well, it was a it was a good thing though because it means that you and Gamer got to be the ones who were trying to break into the idea and the concept and make it look good. Of saying, hey, look, Smash, it's happening live. You can watch it. You can participate, in to some degree at least, in seeing it as it happens. Like because. Let's be honest. I mean, who likes watching a replay of a football game? Maybe really enthusiastic football fans, but not everybody. But live streaming, sure. Maybe somebody who isn't quite as much of a maniac for whatever the medium is, whatever the content is, will check it out and this, that, and the third. But Twitch was not a thing in 2009, or at least not as far as I know. However, So they tried to retroactively act like they existed 
because of Justin TV. Oh, okay. What's Justin TV? So Justin TV was what Twitch used to be. So Justin TV was just like, their idea was like, hey, you can stream anything. Stream your life. Stream anything. And uh, that failed. And then it got rebranded as a gaming stream service later. And is that the first platform that you tried to use to live stream Smash tournaments? Yeah, we used Justin TV at first. Um, at, yeah, we used Justin TV at first, and then we switched to Own TV because Own TV was the first thing to come out that was for gaming, and they like started paying people immediately, even though it was like nothing. It was like, hey, like there's a way to make money doing this now. And then Twitch came back and like. That's a complicated story, and that's farther down the line, so I'll wait for that part. But, like, we switched over Twitch for certain reasons. Right, sure. So, at the beginning, though, VGBC, when did that first come into adoption and when it was actually a real entity? Was this really, really early on, or did this happen a little bit later? So, I think the order it happened in was we did i want to i want to let me you know i almost want to look this up to make sure i'm not misremembering i want to say that we yeah we we started this for ball to you fall we started vg bootcamp for ball to you fall and that was the account we made to send people those invites so um basically we wanted uh we we wanted to be very professional in our presentation because we were not, as we got involved with the community, like as we became a part of the community, we instantly didn't want to just be players. Like we instantly were like, we want to be TOs. We want to make content. Like Calvin had, I'm pretty sure Calvin had already started like trying to make YouTube videos for Melee about stuff that he figured out um, about Game & Watch because that's who he played in Melee. So like nobody, like people knew that he was like a labber but, like, there was no respect for that at that point. Because, like, Game Watch, pretty crappy character. He wasn't getting any results. The only people who, like, saw his stuff were other Game & Watches. And they would just, like, say they thought he was wrong about everything. That kind of thing. But, um... But, that sounds like, about right. <laughs> right. But, like, he was still, like... People were aware that, like, oh, this guy doesn't just play. He's, like, trying to, like, figure stuff out about the game. And there was, like, respect for that. But... If if you're not like if you haven't been going to tournaments for a long time, like uh, you don't just gain respect because you're able to do something like good, well or good, uh, and put on a professional front. Th th it was very much like homie culture, and like we just didn't know what that meant. Like we were like, hey, if we come in, we present ourselves well, uh, like professionally, people will really like what we're doing because they'll see us as someone trying to uplift the community. But we actually had originally the opposite effect. Like, people didn't know who we were. They didn't realize, like, oh, like, these are just players. They thought it was, like, some outside company trying to get in this match. Like, there was this very, like, oxymoronical uh, ideology in the Smash scene where... Oh, you're dumb if you think you can live off Smash or there's any future in Smash. But all these big companies want to take advantage of us. It was like this weird, this weird thing of like everyone acted like, oh man, like pursuing anything in Smash is dumb and a waste of time. It's just a hobby. But then like, oh, if a big company's involved, they must be corrupt and trying to steal like 
steal something from us that like we're saying doesn't exist like there was no value so it was just very funny because we presented ourselves really professionally and people thought at first like some people thought like we were some outsider company trying to like get in with smash when we were just people who played smash it's funny and like exactly like you said i think that attitude has more or less survived in some aspect even even up to today but it's it is funny because you were well, I, trying to come from a more professional angle and it literally tricked people into thinking that you were like a legitimate company, like an MLG type company coming in and trying to say, hey, we want to support what everybody's doing here. Right. And it was it was ironic because it's ironic because now I like that people have that attitude, but I like that because the Smash community has a value now. Like it's it's been proved like and it was, you know, in part created by what we did. So. I like that, like, I did. I never had a problem with people being like, we're not going to just let outsiders come in and do whatever they want and, like, hey, like, prove yourself first. I like that mentality. I just didn't understand how they thought we were that level. Like, just because we tried a little bit to be professional. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was just like, what? <laughs> like, like, huh? <laughs> and I think, I think it is true, like, Robin Harnus, aka Juggle Guy, he was on this podcast a little a little bit ago and described the melee community, the Smash community, as more of a meritocracy or something a very fancy word like that. And I think that probably applies to a lot of gaming communities, esports communities, but like Smash is definitely no exception. So, like you were saying, you're you're newer and you're trying to put yourselves out there. Hey, VGBC, this is going to be like a whole thing, and people are going. We don't know VGBC, and so you had to kind of prove it, if you would, or maybe you would disagree with that, but you had to kind of like just prove to people we're here to stay. We like doing this. It's not just about trying to make a career out of it. It's also we like this community. We want to support this community. Exactly, and it was like it there. Okay, so there was definitely two sides to it. Like, um, obviously, I went to school for business. I don't have a problem with like pursuing something to make money right i don't think there's something wrong with that but i also understand that like even though there's nothing wrong with that something can go wrong with that real quick if that's your only thing you're concerned with uh you have to care about like whatever you do whatever business you build you have to view it in my opinion to be doing it the right way quote unquote you have to view it as you're taking care of the people that you're providing something for. If it becomes this like one-sided thing where it's like you're just sucking money from someone and the thing you're giving back isn't worth it or like maybe in cases of some businesses where they have a bunch of employees, you're not treating your employees correctly. We don't have a bunch of employees, so this doesn't really apply to us, but you're not you're not treating your employees correctly like uh yeah, there's more to life than just making money. But the reason why making money is important when it comes to something like a burgeoning industry or supporting a community that like the thing you're creating is innately a part of. And this is like a conversation I have all the time that just nobody thinks about these things is it's because the infrastructure for what Smash has built needs to be sustainable for us to not just grow, but for us to even exist at the same size continually. And a lot of people just don't care about that and don't think about that. And that's kind of like why some people think we, like 
some people nowadays think VG Bootcamp doesn't care about stuff because we don't act on things quickly because we like to move in a way that allows us to sustainably continue something that we create and introduce to the community. I think that it is something that is very underrated by a lot of people within the Smash community is how you just show up and you pay your your like your your entry fee to get into a tournament and you play and you don't necessarily take a second to understand and appreciate oh wow I'm in a a place that had to that it had to be booked I'm in a I'm in a setup that somebody had to pay for this setup or rent the setup and there are people who are commentating. There are people who are running stream. It's, right. it's man hours. It's equipment. It is so many different things. And they don't quite understand if I don't do my little part, then the really big part that is somehow unnoticed by most competitors, players, community members, that will start to go away. And then the community doesn't have anything to kind of rally behind or unite under. Right, and and then another thing to continue on that is th it's the love of the game is all good and fine, and I love melee. I think melee is the best Smash game, and I don't play melee anymore. I play ultimate. I still would argue that it has not been proven that melee is not the best Smash game yet. It's still the best Smash game, uh, like objectively. Like I don't even need to have that argument with anyone. But there's a difference between loving the game and loving the community. And a lot of people conflate those things. A lot of higher up people conflate those things. And I'm, you know, no shade, but it's sad because the end goal should be about the community first, in my opinion, and the game second. Because I don't care if someone came in and made a $100 million circuit for Smash. If everyone who's got it to this point gets pushed out to do that. That's not worth it to me. That's a great thing to, to say that the the game will always be there, but the community is what really makes it shine, is what really makes it special. I mean, not to 100%. put too like much of an emphasis on like your first tournament experience, but I'm sure it would have been a much easier transition from going from I don't play video games tournaments to oh, I do the video game tournaments. Like, that would have been a shorter transition if, like, for example, if if you were more welcomed in and, like, go, oh, don't leave just because you went 0-2 in bracket. Like, you know, play some friendlies or, so, or you know, have a drink. What, whatever, you get it. Right. That the, the community needs to be something that is not immediately cast aside when there's a, when there's a bag to grab, if you will. And that opportunity right. rarely presents itself in a big way within Smash anyways it's not like there's a tournament that comes along once in a while and is like yeah we'll drop a hundred thousand dollars for the prize pool and then watch everyone just go crazy trying to like place high enough to get a little bit of it or most of it like that doesn't really happen so it, it happens kind of like in a semi behind the scenes thing maybe but the point is is that i, I liked what you said how the the, the community cannot be forgotten it cannot be pushed aside that's that's why we're all here in the first place that it's still very grassroots and the thing is um it's it's the thing that i like about the way i think about it is it's not only it not only like warms my heart to like care about the community it's also very practical it's very practical to think that way it's like if people are living are are if the, when the scene wasn't a real thing, and to be honest, it's 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 a little it's a little 
far from where it needs to be still. But this the scene was was not a real thing yet, or back when it wasn't a real thing. I mean, like it's just like there is no real future in it yet. When you build that at that in that point of time, sweat equity is needed. There is no way to start a new thing where everyone's getting paid the correct amount for their labor. It works for everyone. No one's getting like cut out in some way that's like, man, they deserve more because no, because no one is. No one's making what they deserve. You know what I mean? Like in a very just honest way when something new starts I don't think there is a way for it to start fairly quote unquote so it's very important to remember that as you move forward all the sweat equity that all these people have put in years of their life so that's why it's so important to me and it's like of course I'm like I'm on the inside so like I'm one of the people who's had to have the private conversations where people go like, this isn't working for me. I'm not making enough money. I got to do something else with my life. And it's people who are good workers. They do good work. And they're totally justified in saying that. And you see people leave Smash all the time for bigger and better things. And all I can say is there's no reason why Smash can't be the bigger and better thing. Well, I can think of at least one reason. It's the evil empire. Like, it it kind of has something to do with that just because the developer support is minimal I'll, I'll phrase it that way and you can speak to that better than me but i i can at least know of that from watching <laughs> what happened last year in the in the october and november with the cease and desist for the big house online there's just like there's always that moment where if we as a community can have like something that's really cool and awesome then it kind of gets squashed and that scares away like big money pocket type sponsor kind of stuff which is that's not the complete picture of how smash could make more money and keep people who are good at what they do around. That's a, that's not the complete picture, but it, it it's hard at face value that when people look into smash, they go, there's no developer support. It kind of stops there for a lot of people who are interested and then move on. Or at least that's my opinion. I'd be interested to hear yours. Um, That's definitely a part of it. And I think that's the most public part of it. Like, there's no, like, of course, there's no uh, publisher support. So that's a very easy, like, hanger, like, to hang, to have the hangups of all the Smash community. Just like, oh, very easy dunk on Nintendo. And uh, to some degree, to some degree, when it comes from the community, deserved. But um, there's a lot of other problems that nobody knows about. And there's a lot of other things that cause these problems. Because, like, you just look at the FGC. The FGC gets developer support, right? From Capcom, from, uh, I mean, I know Soul Calibur Tekken get world tours. Capcom gets world tour. I mean, Street Fighter gets a world tour. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of games are getting tours nowadays. It's just the, the FGC has all the developer support in the world. But if you look at who's streaming it now, it's not who brought the fighting game out of the Dark Ages. See what I'm saying? It's like, you, so you can, you can say, hey, we'd all be in a better place if you know who was involved. 
But if you look at other examples of those companies getting involved, like just look at League of Legends, for example. League of Legends had community circuits until they decided to make a public circuit and they shut down all the community circuits. So is that within their right? Yes. Do I Like legally, yes. Do I have a problem with that legally? No. But if I look at it from the community that developed those community circuits, they're dead now. And they just, like, it's basically no thank yous or anything. It's like, okay, well, we're just going to take over now that this is a real thing and we'll go ahead. It's not even that it's not even that it's because it's a real thing because, like, in a real sense, it's a drop in the bucket for the publishers. So it's like they don't even need it, right? It's like a commercial for them. It's a loss leader for them. Um, So that's why I say be careful what you wish for from the community point of view because – if everyone who loves Smash, like, oh, why isn't it an eSport? Why isn't it published de- development? And then, like, of course, like, I'm not saying Nintendo would do this or whatever because, like, I don't, you know, I can't predict what they would do or whatever. But let's say Doomsday Scenario, just for argument's sake. Nintendo came in, just ran all their own events, shut down everything else. Um, there would be some outcry for a little while. But then a few years later, it'd just be like, this is what we have now. This is what we're doing. So it's like, who's really gaining from that? And I would say, first and foremost, the people who gain from that are the players. They would get, they would be able to go, cool, I'm making a lot more money. And then you could look at um, the up-and-coming players. They'd be like, oh, cool, now I have something a little better to strive for, right? There's like, there's like a career path here for me. But all those other people I was talking about, most likely cut out and if you look at the economics of the current smash scene the people who are doing good and well are the top players they have their own streams they can make their own content they have teams paying them out every month and they get to go to tournaments and and win money which we all know is the is the joke part of the money train when it comes to smash because tournaments don't give you that much but all those other streams of revenue have supplemented their income to the point they're doing the best out of everyone in the community so that's kind of like where i go so is this really what you want (laughs) you know what i mean is this really the path you want to go down because um and then this yeah and then this gets into other things that i don't want to go into so it's a great aside to take to talk about like how there's always going to be the double-edged sword aspect of grassroots where yeah, people can say, I want developer support because that'll just make a lot of problems go away. But then it brings in problems and you just have that eternal tug back and forth, back and forth. It's the joy of being in the Smash community. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that sweat equity because at first VGBC is not really making money and you're trying to get equipment and you're trying to do streams. Like you're literally offering to people, we will stream your event for free. It was like those kinds of conversations at first. And it took a long time until VGBC was able to actually say, we did not uh, lose on this venture. We did not lose money by running this stream today. It took actually about five years, if I read an article correctly that, that Gimmer was interviewed on. And there's a couple of different footnotes I want to ask you about, but was it about five years until VGBC was actually starting to self-sustain? Not that it was all the way there, but it took that long to get in the right direction? 
Yeah, so basically, uh, it took about five years for us to get to the point where Calvin could quit his job. And then about five and a half years where I could quit my job. But, like you said, uh, it wasn't really like, oh man, we're doing great. It was more like, we can barely pay our bills, but do this full time. Let's do this. Let's shake and bake. Because like you, you say to yourself, if we can barely pay bills and we can do it full-time, that just means we don't have to think about working a job part-time or full-time. This is the full-time thing. And you say to yourselves, we can really dive into this, and this is going to turn into really great things sooner as compared to keeping a job and chipping away at it slowly. There's sort of like a, a slight ramp-up effect. Or did you envision that when you quit your job, or was it something else? Um. So... When I quit my job, I was currently working at uh, Sam's Club. I've been working there for like two, two and a half, three years. And uh, basically, I was willing to continue working there. And I had the same hours for over a year. And I was a full-time employee. So I pretty much thought, my job's this. And uh, after about six months of Calvin being able to be BG full-time, uh, the people who owned Xanadu at the time, we were not the originators of Xanadu. It was a place that we started the first Smash Weekly at. They said they didn't want to run Xanadu anymore, and they offered the guy who ran FGC stuff, and they offered us both the opportunity to take over. We took it, and the FGC guy had zero interest in taking over and uh, when I took over, the idea was I'll just work two shifts every day, one at Sam's Club, one at Xanadu, and we'll make this work. And about a month in, six weeks in, uh, I was burning the candle at both ends, and my job tells me, well, we're switching your hours to be like completely random every two weeks. And I was like, well, I can't do that uh, because I now don't only have a second job. It's a business that I'm running that I own. And uh, they were like, well, uh, that's the policy change for your position. We have to do it. And I was like, uh, okay, so, so when are you starting this? And then they go, well, actually, it's going to start. It's like, it's like Friday or something. Like, actually, well, it's going to start Monday. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, you're just dropping this on me now. You're not telling me. Um, so I said, uh, I would have loved to give you guys two-week notice, but you didn't give me two weeks notice. You were changing my hours, so I have to just quit. And I did. I quit on the spot. So uh, basically, after that, it was a struggle to get VG Boot Camp to the point where it was making uh, enough money to keep not only me and my brother uh, going, but also to keep uh, Xanadu open because Xanadu was like breaking even or losing money every month itself as a business. But when you factored in like that VG Bootcamp was blowing up more and more because of Xanadu Weeklies, it was worth it. It was like a little counterbalance to that. That there was sort of like light at the end of the tunnel of like this sucks really bad right now, but we're still getting right there in was the right direction. there was light at the end of the tunnel and then the people who owned the property that we were renting just started raising our rent every year 
So it got to the point where it's like we were finding ways to keep making it more and more successful, but we weren't benefiting from it. And in those days, it was a $5 venue fee, which is just like nothing. So I had to start preaching to my community, uh, hey, like we're going to have to go to $10 venue fee at some point. This is not working. Like I was like very upfront about it. At first, I uh, at first I kind of like tried to like preach to them the idea of, hey, if we want to get to a better venue, Xanadu has to make money because it has to make money to save up to then buy a better place. So that's the first way I framed it, because it was just the truth. I was like, we can we can uh, wade in the water forever, like we can like keep our head above water, but like we're never gonna get out of the water. So. I started started trying to be like really frank with the community about like where I wanted to take the direction of the business and basically not a lot of people uh believed me. Uh they thought that I was just like just saying stuff so that I could charge more money. Um but a lot of the people were still like giving some people were giving me the face value of my argument. Some people just started not to go. So what it ended up turning out when we did all the numbers, we uh we uh um which I'm sorry, I just drew a blank. Uh we crunched the numbers. We crunched all the numbers and what it turned out when we raised the venue fee from five dollars to ten dollars, we retained seventy percent of our clientele. So that was about a uh thirty thirty percent gain or something like that. Maybe sixty percent gain. I'm doing the math wrong. So, uh, oh no, it was a 40% gain. So it was a 40% gain. So it was like, okay, we made the right decision. Uh, the tournament's got a little smaller, but overall it's working out better for us. And then the landlord came in again and raised the price uh, like $2,000 a month or something. And it just like, it just made it so we had to close Xanadu. It was literally like, you don't have an option you have to close Xanadu. There is no way to outrun, like to out paddle this amount of rising water. This is just not possible. What so, year did that happen? So that was a, that was like the later half of 2017, I believe. Because uh, while all that's going on, I start talking to the racetrack these guys in the racetrack randomly hit us up and go, we're interested in starting an eSports uh, center in the racetrack. Uh, do you guys want to talk about you guys being the ones who do it? So I, uh, this was about, um, we had about till February and I started these conversations late November. So we had about a February 2018, I think, to figure it out. So we started these conversations late November I take a I take like a week to like put together this um business plan and uh I basically like go through like we were doing glitch at the time we were doing project m showdown and we were doing uh 
I don't think we were doing a melee tournament yet. We had tried a melee tournament and it didn't it didn't work like a big melee tournament at Xanadu. So we had all the weeklies and then we had those tournaments. So we used those as kind of like our basic structure for the business plan of moving it into this place and saying like, look, we can do this, we can do this. This is how many people we'll have coming in the doors. Blah blah blah. Uh, we even like lowered all the numbers because we weren't sure like we were gonna hit the numbers and like that's kind of like how we played a little safe when we give expectations to people who want to fund stuff for us. We like to always uh, guess low and then aim for high. So um, I give them the business plan. They seem interested, but, like, it's going to take a long time. Like, okay, like, we're interested, but, like, the people at the track don't, like, they take a while to make their decisions. So they're like, all right, well, just so you know, we have to close and we're we're down to reopen whenever like it makes sense for you guys, whether it's 2019 or whatever. So uh, we wait as long as we can to announce we're closing uh, because, you know, this, this other deal was kind of up in the air. We didn't think it was going to go through, but we knew that there was a possibility that it could randomly be quick. And then one week before we closed Xanadu, they hit us up. Yeah, we don't want you to stay closed, so we want you to reopen as soon as possible at the track. And they uh, they say they'll put a bunch of money into the space to fix it up for us, invest in a bunch of stuff to make it a really cool, like, this huge new, like, thing that we have now. And we're just like, damn, like, all right, let's do it. So, like... We were, like, hyping up the end of Xanadu, end of an era and all that, and then, like, at the very last event, we're able to put out this trailer of, like, when we're reopening, like, three weeks later. And then we had th we had three weeks to close Xanadu, clean it, paint it, dip, go to the new place, fix it up, get it ready, start hosting tournaments. So that was a crazy month, and that all leads up to when that place opened being like the first year where like we did uh better than like barely what we needed to pay our bills and it was already at the racetrack at that point where you're looking around and you're going i think we're actually i think we're actually gonna yeah this is gonna work <laughs> it's right. incredible that you had to go through so much different like different metamorphoses or whatever the plural version of that word is to yeah. continue to try and make it and one thing i forgot to add um we we were doing a like the another reason we were struggling that wasn't like we talked about this publicly but it wasn't super obvious because we only wanted to talk about it once and then we wanted to like not make it a public thing anymore because it was kind of our own personal stuff but when smash 4 dropped which uh let me just look that up again the year um when smash 4 dropped Oh wow, 2014, crazy. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when so when Smash 4 dropped is when our mother got dementia and we had to take on the bills for taking care of her and uh it was like the first year we ran Xanadu, I think, uh as ours that we had to deal with taking care of our mother living with us and at first it wasn't too bad. It was like she was just forgetful and like going down the uh the path of like um losing her memory but then like halfway through the year it just got horrible she had really bad uh there's a thing called sundown syndrome I, I believe is the term where like someone with dementia they get like really agitated when 
uh, the sun goes down. And they become really hard to like keep calm. And she uh, she she got early onset dementia, so she was only fifty years old. So like this was like a grown adult person who did not have any physical disabilities. So she was really hard to handle. Um, so we had to deal with that for a year. And then we had to put her, because we just literally weren't getting sleep and weren't able to do it anymore, we had to, like, put her in a uh, facility. And we found a uh, we found a place that was literally a block away in our neighborhood that did this thing. So we were able to, like, get her there. But it was like we were paying for all that. So, like, technically, we were doing a little better financially than, like, it may have seemed from my story. But, like, that was the main, that was another main reason why financially we hadn't been able to, like, give ourselves any more than what we were doing for that, that whole, like, uh, I want to say, um, four to five year period from when we went from full timing to that 2018 moving into that new venue. We weren't able to, uh, help ourselves, like, by giving ourselves more than bare minimum needed to pay our bills. So that was a little rough because from the outside, it looked like we were very successful to a lot of people, but we really hadn't gotten there yet. And to your point, like paying for the kind of care that your mother needed, like is it, it is not has to come from somewhere. The funds have to come from somewhere. And when it's on YouTube, like it, it's amazing that you were able to manage all of that. And at first able to even like have her in the house and try to make it work that way as well. Like, cause you don't know what to do because this is your mother. This is like a very important person in each of your lives that you want to try to help and take care of and just trying to figure out how to do all that to manage everything must right. have been very, very hard. So we have an older brother and this actually happened. Uh, we all three moved in together and this happened like right after we all three moved in together and uh, we kind of, I would say, lucked out, even though, like, obviously there's nothing lucky about this situation, uh, where we were all able, since we all worked for ourselves at that point, we were all able to take turns, like, do, like, a shift every day. So um, I would do the midday shift because I had to open Xanadu around 2 to give myself uh, we were open at three but like people didn't really start coming in till later i think if i remember correctly so like i would get there an hour early to clean but i really needed like two and a half hours to clean and uh i would do all that from like two to like three or four or five and then people started trickling in and i would run the i would run the register and then i'd help run the tournament and then uh i would let people stay a little later like i wasn't like super picky about that and then uh like probably around 12 one the tournament's winding down we didn't run tournaments very efficiently back then either but also streaming was part of our revenue so we had to like we had to stream everything so it made the tournament drag on a little longer and then uh, i would get home about uh, from about one to two every night and then i would have to do the midday shift of like 10 to 10 to like one and um then go, then go to work so that was that was rough and she my door like oh my god there there's so many things that we could have solved if we just like took like 30 seconds to do with deal with it but like my door w could lock but like you could just shove it open and like she just knew that somehow so like when my brother got up 
if she ever got away from my older brother who took the morning shift for like a few minutes, she would just like shove my door open and come and wake me up. <laughs> I just remember being like, please, no. <laughs> I just want to sleep. But um, yeah, that was that was something, man. There was there, th- It was literally like sleep deprivation times where it's like we just it was literally physically what we had to do we had to find a place for her or else we were just going to cease being able to function i want to be respectful of your time so a quick vibe check how are we doing um i mean i i can talk for a little longer and i and just so you know like at any point i can like come back and just start from wherever we left off because like uh, 11 to 12 years of smash history isn't gonna be covered that quickly you know what i mean absolutely and i don't want you to feel like that we're i don't want you to feel like that we're we're having to like cut off like a a bunch of it and and just for the sake of of stopping here so that is something that i think is fair to to leave open for you since i want you to feel welcome and uh, have this platform to share your story would you want to cut it off as a part one and then try to do a part two in the future? Or would you like to try to to uh, to, to wrap up with uh, one big question of, well, I, you know what? I won't spoil it. I'll, I'll, do you, just, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the wrap up question, but I, I would be down to come back if you want me to come back and uh, do more because, yeah, I, I like we just like skipped all early years basically and we didn't even really get into to anything specific about smash honestly this ended up just being like talking about what we were doing but none of like i didn't get to talk about any of my interactions or stories or anything like you know what i mean it's not a big pressure thing to be like apostle you have to tell me all the times that you and and so and so like it doesn't have to be about that specifically but I I think what I'm really appreciating hearing from you is like how throughout the, throughout this time of 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 living in the uh, the adulting section of your life this whole adulting thing with you and Gemmer specifically with VGBC is how many other things you were having to deal with and really wanting to make it work full time because you're trying to prove that it can be done and you want to do it for yourselves. There's a lot of reasons why you're trying to make this all work. So the big wrap up question that I had is throughout all this time where there's just so many things where you feel like ugh, more water that we're trying to to get out of why did you keep going what was that internal force that said i'm getting out of bed today and i'm gonna do another daggum awesome day of work and then i'll do it tomorrow and so on like what kept you going what keeps you going um it's a tough question but, uh, cause like, I think I know the answer, but it's kind of like not, it's like in the moment you keep going cause you want to do it in the moment. I always find a reason or something that I'm fighting for. And then I just fight. So like, you know, the thing with my mom yeah, that's a lot, but it's like, had I been working at Sam's Club, I wouldn't have been able to take care of her. Uh, the thing about, you know, that I kind of alluded to with, like, Big N getting involved and possibly being pushed out, it's like, yeah, but that might not happen. 
So it's like there's plenty of people that what we're building is helping and, and I feel like creating something that's positive and, uh, you know, good for the world, not saying that, like, Smash changes the world or anything like that or, like, televising or pushing it, but, like, nowadays there's it's so easy to complain and so easy to think of the negative but it's like there's a lot of positive stuff coming from this scene it's, it's very easy to look at all the negative because that's what gets attention right uh you, you go on twitter and you tweet about like bad stuff happening or you like dunk on someone who said something stupid and it's like oh wow this is like a free funny like right uh, and that's all easy, but, like, the good part of the scene, and I would say even, like, to a further extent, the world, isn't easy. Like, creating something good, doing good, it's it's the hard part of life. Focusing on the negative, being negative, pointing at the problem that exists is the easy part. Solving the problem is the hard part, right? The problem of this scene from my perception when I came into it was a lot of people putting time and skill becoming masters at something but that story was going to go lost or that legacy was going to be non-existent because nobody else would see it as a thing that was worth getting into they would uh, they would see it as uh, a few people who are obsessed with something that no one should put that much time into. That was the very prevalent view of gaming from my era. So I just said, in my mind, this is what people like to do. I see a future, it could, it could work. And I started building on it. And then the second part is I just, and me and my brother talk about this all the time. We, we of course, on our own, we complain about things we don't like in the scene personally because we, you know, we're brothers, we're best friends, we vent to each other. The reason we don't do it publicly is because that is poison. That poisons the well. Um, also, like, you know, just flat out, we have more stuff to complain about than anyone else and we just don't because, once again, that poisons the well. All we do, what we do is, and what I was getting at is we talk about all the time is we just don't give up. When we set our minds to something, we just don't give up. And that's very, like, that sounds very, like, uh, cliche, but it's just it's just the truth. It's like, that doesn't, in our perception, it's not like, oh, man, we just got to keep at it. We're going to do good. It's more like the idea of giving up doesn't really seem like an option a lot of the time. Like, it just doesn't come into our mind as an option. It's always like, here's the problem. Here's several solutions. Which one are we going to do? And then we pick what we're going to do. If it works, we get through it. If it doesn't, we go, okay, let's try the other options. So just giving up isn't something we think about a lot as an option. It just isn't. The Lofton boys just keep going. They find solutions, not obstacles to complain about. TLDR. Does that sound about right? Publicly. We complain about it all the time in private. <laughs> <laughs> you are human. You are human. Yes. <laughs> it, it does. It does no good. You know what I mean. Like, it's a. It's a thing of, we we believe in the community part of the Smash community, and it doesn't help a community when people who have 
their hands in a lot of it if we walked around complaining about it all the time. We already see how bad it hurts when other people of who have a lot of clout in the community or even people who don't all go around complaining and talking about the negative aspects of the community, which in a lot of sense, some of them are very justified. So I'm not saying don't do don't complain about things you're justified to complain about. It's just if the whole picture was also constantly being mentioned, you know what I mean? Like if all the good things were also being highlighted all the time, it would be different, but they're not. So the fact that only the negative things get talked about a lot of the time is where the poison idea comes to mind. And it's not just specifically within Smash. That's that's how the whole world works. And you you see the the clickbait stuff. It's it's usually leading with something that is supposed to stir up like all of your negative emotions. And it's why people describe social media as something that kind of drains you after a while. People have to take breaks, that sort of thing. So it it's not just specifically a Smash thing. To be clear, it, it is definitely uh, that is a whole the the entire human race thing. We just we do like complaining quite a bit, but actively looking for solutions and being willing to be real about saying, "Hey, we we do have problems." It's not like nobody should think, "Oh, everything's hunky dory," or be like so positive that you like you'll just burn out that way. Also, but to say we won't get to a better place if we always want to stay here and just talk about how bad it is. It does take work, but if we right. all can pitch in or let some of us lead the way, you know, just tag along, don't drag us down with your complaining nonsense all the time, then things can be better. But that does take time and it does take a lot of purposeful steps forward of just moving forward. Which and I'm, so which I'm very, I what you had to say. which I'm very happy to do, to be honest. Like, yeah, the my first remark when something I've never heard of, like I just didn't know was a problem or something, falls in, on my like desk or or metaphorical lap or whatever you want to say. Uh, I do. I'm I'm a little exasperated at first because I'm like you know, already dealing with a lot and it's like, it does mildly annoy me, but. I usually come to terms with that very quickly and then get excited about brainstorming how to fix the problem. It's like no matter how how bad the problem is, eventually I'm like, "All right, uh, I've had my I've I've had my time of bemoaning the concept of this thing existing in the scene and now accept it exists and now I'm ready to to to, to fight it uh whatever whatever aspect it may be, you know." So uh it's just the way I'm built. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I I don't like complaining too much. I like getting to the conversation about solving the problem. I do understand that, like, uh, people need, need, that's part of their way of dealing with stuff. I wish they, I, I truly wish they would do the healthier thing and get that through their social circles and not through social media. But um, I do understand, like, why it's happening a lot. Uh anyway you know especially a lot of young people are in smash so they just uh super emotional at that point in their lives so i get yes, it the youths the youths uh, yep. uh, i've gotten to it. the point where i i'm a youth I, I like make myself laugh by saying that kind of thing i used to be young once but yeah it's been a little while but i still remember 
and it's a it's a thing of like you know hey man we we all we all have our individual struggle if you feel like you can take a little bit of someone else's struggle and make it your struggle more power to you but make sure you can handle it and always remember that if it's not actually your struggle it's not necessary that you bear that cross and you might be uh hanging on to something that's a little not really yours and it's okay to let go of it if you need to to the, I think to the younger great... people oh yes i think that's a great place to to round off and yes i'd always be excited to have you or anybody back on because to your point there's there is just so much more things to be talked about so i appreciate your time and i do want to make sure that you can tell the people where to, where to find you so please uh wrap us up with that tell the people where they can go and find apostle you can find me on Twitter at VGBC underscore Apostle. That's pretty much the uh, main spot. I don't really do a Twitch. I don't do not do my own personal YouTube. But, you know, VGBootCamp, always happy to have more uh, followers, subscribers to YouTube, all that. Oh, yeah, we definitely take those. Let's go. And one more time, Apostle, thank you for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Can you imagine trying to have your first tournament ever in a karate dojo with over 100 people and also trying to stream that tournament and also record every match from that tournament <laughs> in 2009? <laughs> wow. Okay, so that obviously that was a big part of the story there with my interview with Apostle. Thank you so much for listening. Again, like I was saying at the top, got to get Apostle back on to do a part two because there was just so much of the history of VGBC that we missed out on because we also did some current time Zeke conversations as well. Part of this whole podcasting thing is that you can have like an idea of where you want to go, but I truly don't set super hard boundaries and say, look, we got to stay on topic or we can't go on too many bunny trails. And I'm like, that's not the point of, look, podcasts are for bunny trails and segues and sidebars and the whole thing's a side hustle anyway so like side is a big theme of podcasting and if you are listening to this expecting it to be a 15 minute cut on topic sort of an interview that you came to the wrong place and i'm surprised that you're even still here like why are you still here you're not still here to anyway so aside from the fact that we had a great interview and i hope that apostle returns to do a part two i also wanted to go over a little bit just a little bit of this whole banning of the rectangle style controllers that has been going through the twitter waves recently that caught my interest in the sense of me saying to myself, well, I've never played on a box style, a rectangle style controller before. I've never played on a fight stick. I've never played on anything other than a GameCube controller and a Nintendo 64 controller as it pertains to Smash games. Although I should say for the Wii, for Brawl, there was that one day where I said to myself, I could play with the nunchuck Wii remote combination, only to quickly discover that I hated every moment of it and i wanted to go back so desperately it was interesting because sidebar <laughs> see podcasting it's interesting because when i had the wii and i played mario strikers charged you obviously 
have to use the Wii remote and the nunchuck as a combo to play that game. And it was super fun and felt the controls felt really intuitive and I loved it. So eventually I experimented. I was like, you know, I play Mario Kart Wii with the GameCube controller, which is great. It feels nice. But what would it feel if I did the same deal except with the Wii Remote and Nunchuck combination. So I tried it one day and I realized, oh, this feels better than a GameCube controller for Mario Kart Wii because you can do tricks while turning easier because the button for doing a trick launching off of a ramp for Mario Kart Wii with a GameCube controller is up on the D-pad or just any of the D-pad. And also doing that thing where the PAL block appears and you'll spin but maintain your speed but go straight for a second while spinning. But again, maintain your speed. It's a whole thing. In order to avoid the harder version, the more punishing version of the PAL block, which not only makes you spin out, but it also grinds you to a complete stop. So... Obviously, you want to do the one where you maintain your speed, even if you're careening in the wrong direction for a brief moment before you regain control of the vehicle, you have to press on the D-pad. And that was very difficult with the GameCube controller because I just was not talented enough or something. Anyway, I switched to the Wii Remote and Nunchuck for Mario Kart Wii. And then I tried it with Brawl. And it did not work out. But suffice it to say, I've always been interested in the idea of playing the Smash Brothers games on a different controller other than a GameCube controller because I'm aware somewhat of its limitations. I'm certainly aware of the fact that for Melee, there's just certain things that a GameCube controller will most likely not do that you find yourself saying, I wish it did this. (laughs) But it doesn't because because the controller is is faulty or you've just been using it for so long, even if it was good for snapback or shield drops or something else that's like controller specific. Oh, the run back thing, the turnaround thing, you know, where you either dash backwards when you turn around dash. Is that, is that what it, well, anyway, all that to say, This tweet has been deleted. Okay, so there was a person on Twitter who announced that their tournament series, which I believe was called The Return or something. No, I can't remember any of the details. I I bookmarked this tweet so that I wouldn't forget. And then they deleted it. No. It do be that way sometimes, though. (laughs) But this person announced to the entire world of Twitter, hey, just so you guys know, just so all you gals know, all the all theys and its and everybody in between, all of y'all know, I will be banning the frame one and box controllers for my tournaments, my IRL tournaments that are returning moving forward, which brought, as you would imagine, a reasonable amount of backlash from the community as a whole. People kind of dunking on the person and saying, you won't stop me from using my box or and or frame one controller. Ayo, ratio, you know how you know how Twitter be. So there was a fair amount of that going on. And I guess it's just been too many hours since it happened because earlier today, the tweet wasn't deleted. It was very much up. I had a lot of quote retweets, as you would imagine. I can't even remember who tweeted it. Ugh. I want to say it was someone who was either goom wave themselves or like within the goom wave family or or business group or like as i'm i'm just so lost on my memory right now of trying to remember exactly what went down 
But I remember that it was somebody who was somehow connected to the Goom Wave controller, or at least I was led to believe that because Goom, the word Goom, G-O-O-M, was in their was in their Twitter name or Twitter handle or, or something, and I, I can't remember anymore. So I feel bad. But most of you know what I'm talking about, or if you really want to know, you can't know because the tweet's been deleted. So should have screenshotted it. That's on me. I will do that next time. They deleted the tweet, obviously, because they later came out and said, by the way, I will not be moving forward with the banning of the Frame 1 controller and the Box controller. Those will be allowed at my tournament. So I guess that's why the original tweet saying, hey, those are banned, got deleted, just to avoid a misunderstanding in the future when people show up with their GameCube controllers that they haven't touched in over a year or two years because they've been box or frame one users for that long and are like, well, I still want to play Melee, so I guess I'll play with this crappy GameCube controller. (laughs) And it's not crappy because it's metaphorically or subjectively crappy. Actually, I love the GameCube controller. That's why I can't get off of it. But what I'm saying is, is that someone who's used to playing on a frame one or a box or another similar rectangle style controller if they've been playing it on long enough to get used to it, then they would understand that there's just certain things such as snapback, such as shield dropping, such as wave dashing that are allegedly easier. Now, is this actually true in practice? I don't know because I haven't tried it for myself and I'm not an expert on it at all. I just keep seeing those sort of things pop up again and again where people are like, yeah, this is this, this box style controller controllers are better for certain actions like shield dropping, like wave dashing. So I don't know for myself what the true facts are, but I've seen enough of the discourse to basically come out of this with an opinion. I have an opinion about all this. That's why I was talking about it in general. Now, I was really bad at informing you accurately of what went down because I can't even remember the person who tweeted it and what the exact name of the tournament series was. It was a local I'm now going to offer you my opinion, which I didn't forget (laughs) because I didn't have to bookmark that. And my opinion is that the box controllers are here to stay. The frame ones are here to stay. Like those, those controllers are not going anywhere and it makes the game more accessible because some people will spend money to get a very good GameCube controller. But you know how expensive a very good GameCube controller is? They're not less than $200. Meanwhile, you can find a few different options. It depends on who we're talking about here, if it's the frame one or the box. But there are some box-style, rectangle-style controllers that are semi-decently available for less than 200 although 200 is about the standard pricing of a rectangle style controller and i think that number can go down more but that's just me but a good game can controller is 400 dollars. so there you go that that's that's what we're working with in terms of accessibility of how you play the game of melee of course you can play with your keyboard as well but no so <laughs> i like game controllers and although i haven't tried a boxed or frame one, a rectangle style controller. I'm sure I would like those too, just because it'd be fun to play the game like as if you're typing. And I've seen Wasabi, shout outs to the Wannabes podcast. I've seen Wasabi play with the box long enough now that the button presses seem to be just as satisfying as the clacking of the GameCube controller. So all that to say, to 
TLDR this conversation since I've been going on for about 10 minutes now, 10 plus minutes, is that I am saying that the rectangle style controllers should not be banned, in my opinion. They should be allowed to go. I understand the concerns, but like, really, what are we doing? Okay, there we go. That sums up that. The last thing I will leave you with, lead you? Oh boy. The last thing that I will leave you with is a shout outs to the Wannabes podcast. The Wannabes podcast are the reason why I started podcasting. I found them during Five Days of Melee and I went to their Discord server and I had already listened to a few episodes at that point and I really liked the stories and the arc for JD and Wasabi and I said as much, and they said, oh, what episodes did you listen to? And I said, which ones? And I added a few extra notes, and Wasabi's like, I love that. And JD said, yeah, I love that too. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, maybe I could do that a few more times. And that (laughs) spun very quickly into me making my own podcast. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So... I am eternally grateful to JD and Wasabi. Why am I talking about them? Because they talked about me. They talked about me in their video of their season two finale, episode 126. You should really go and check it out. Obviously, you get to hear cool things about me and what I do with the Wannabes Discord. (laughs) And you all should really hop on. But I, I mean that JD and Will were being very nice. And so I try to return the favor and be very nice to them as well. Their podcast is amazing, and I still listen to it. Every time they put out a new episode, I've, I listen to it, and I give a few notes as best I can. I've been really busy lately, but I I do the best that I can. And it's been so cool to hear the different things that they come across that are obstacles or things that are bummers, and yet they always find a way to persist and to stay strong, even in times when they're not feeling strong. So shout-outs to Wasabi, shout-outs to JD, shout-outs to the Wannabes, shout-outs to the Wannabes Discord, frick, shout-outs to Ventus Official, who is going to be very upset at me with the next episode. Ventus, you just don't hate me, okay? All right, so (laughs) it has to do with TikTok. Anyway, I am very excited about the fact that the Wannabes podcast is going into season three, something that I'm very excited to do in the semi-near future, but we'll see. What I am going to be doing in the semi-near future, though, is I'm going to be taking off a week of podcasting. Now you may be asking why that is. Okay, I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to my first ever Melee tournament. Yes, let's go! I'm going to my first ever Melee tournament. Yes! And it's in person, yes. Everyone's vaccinated, yes. Still going to do that social distancing thing and stuff, I imagine. I don't know, but we're all vaccinated. So, I mean, I kind of am falling victim a little bit to the mentality of who cares we're all vaccinated. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where I land on that train just yet. The point is, is that I will follow the example of our fearless leader, at Jay Bobison on Twitter. I just call him Jesse. I mean, both of our names are Jesse, so that's fun. But Jesse will lead by example, and I will do what he does. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse, if you're listening to this, by the way. I know that's a lot of pressure. But I am still very excited to be able to go to a melee tournament for the first time ever. Now, I am a husband and a father, for those of you who don't know. So I make a lot of time for this podcast, and that's great. But 
I'm going to take some time off so that I can then prepare, kind of, to play Melee for the first time in a while, but mainly so that I can spend extra time with my family because for Saturday, June 26th, which is when the tournament is, I will be gone for half the day, at least. So that's why I'm going to take a break from podcasting so that I can take those time saved there and apply it to Saturday and say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do that instead. And that's pretty much it for me. I mean, there I still have a lot of stuff that I have to do tonight. You probably are going to hear similar things from me for the next few episodes of me saying, wow, I'm taking a week off to prepare for my first IRL tournament. And wow, I'm doing, I'm doing three editing sessions in a row of editing three different interviews. <laughs> You're probably going to hear a little bit more of that because I am definitely going to repeat myself. But that's what happens when you when you wait a little while to pr- to not produce but to release content because I won't be able to talk about whatever the new Twitter stuff is, whether it's drama or even real stuff. Hopefully it's just mildly amusing stuff like how the box and frame one controller is mildly amusing, but at the same time it is pretty serious though. I, I should give it, it's not mildly funny. It's, it, it is actually something fairly serious, but to give that the time of day. I won't be able to do that for the next few episodes because I'm recording them all in advance and I am editing them all in advance. So you won't get to hear my opinion on something that's happening next week. But I'll be back the week after that, back to the normal schedule, I think. Although I haven't made up my mind on that either. I might be doing a little bit of a step back. Maybe instead of doing three episodes a week, maybe I try to do two. Because I do like having time with family it's still very important to me. I didn't start podcasting because my wife and I argue all the time and I need a, I need a, an outlet for arguing. No, it's, it's more of like everything's going so well that uh, I felt like why, why mess that up except I'm doing that by starting a podcast. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know that one day I was in the Wannabes Discord and I said I should probably try to do something aside from consuming content all the time. And so the con- the content that I decided to do was podcasting. So mainly because of the resources available to me. I still have no Wi-Fi at home. It's got to change fast. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time on Bottom of the Smash Mountain.